Occupy a Job on Wall Street is an autobiographical novel about New York City in the aughts, centering around a protagonist mentored by sociopaths. Episode 88, Succession. Young people always have a reason to be upset and cynical about the current state of affairs. It's been that way forever, and it'll always be that way in the future. I was a bit of an odd duck when I first got onto Wall Street. For a start, I was a huge Ralph Nader fan, and everyone hated that guy's guts, of course. I literally had a Green Party sticker on the desk and used to laugh at anyone who got wound up at it. And as Bush barreled towards invading Iraq, I was so adamantly in the anti-war camp that I called in sick to protest on the streets. I threw around terms like military-industrial complex, corporatism, even the Iron Triangle when I got too gassed up. Years passed, and as I moved a little more towards the center, I still clung to the idea that Democrats were the good people. Ipso facto, the opposition must be bad. But here's the thing. With the benefit of hindsight, I guarantee our younger listeners that if you're not happy with how the world is laying itself out to you, the problem lies with you, not the world. When I was a more junior guy on a trading desk, I did 10,000 things wrong and two things right. My mistakes have been more than adequately cataloged thus far, so let me outline the two things our crew got exactly right back then. Rule 1. Any social interaction you can get yourself invited to, you should go. Put down the video game, stop worrying that someone said something wrong on social media, ignore our politicians when they claim protest and riots are for the best, but restaurants and social gatherings are dangerous. Just go. Having a good presence in social situations is critical to your future, and the only way to learn that is to practice. It's just like lifting weights. Do it again and again in more and more difficult circumstances. You'll get stronger. Rule 2. Attach yourself to more experienced people and use them as mentors. I'll concede this one would be easier if we weren't in the middle of a pandemic and supposed recession. In my early days, I'd listen in to every phone call I could, trying to learn from the people around me. For instance, I noticed traders always repeated back orders no matter how trivial and overprepared, even for mundane tasks. Hell, I loved the business so much, I even tried to emulate how they phrased things. And when I integrated the two rules and went drinking with one of my most effective mentors on Wall Street, I learned a third rule. You can't unfuck an assistant and anything can be a DUI checkpoint if you crash your car into it. This is that lesson. One thing everyone should learn as early as they can in life is that a quality of outcome is impossible and it's not even desirable anyway. Because a small amount of people are just such fucking geniuses. Picasso produced 64,000 pieces of art over 70 years. Johann Bach wrote so much music by hand that if you hired someone just to copy it, it would take a couple of decades. Wayne Gretzky recorded more points just from assists than anyone who has ever scored goals in the NHL. One of my Wall Street mentors was like that, but with women. He was a Gucci-wearing connoisseur of the fairer sex, with elaborate rescue plans for anyone he'd talked to for more than a minute. When I first came across him, he had just met a nice woman walking around Soho. The two of them had a lovely day exploring the city, and she fell asleep on his couch watching television. He gets bored, decides to order up some hookers, and she wakes up to him on the couch covered in baby oil as a couple of Korean girls clip his toenails. We became friends after meeting at a Cantor Fitzgerald fundraiser in the early 2000s. I was amazed at his self-confidence. He simply introduced himself to the table, then to a circle around us, and eventually the entire room, it seemed. 
Afterwards, we wandered over to Whiskey Blue and exchanged views on politics, the environment, and social justice. I thought it was amazing. Was it really possible to be so progressive, charming, and wealthy? I wouldn't call it a man crush, but it's fair to say I was in awe of him. This continued for some time. We'd attend a variety of events, he'd introduce me to people, and we'd debate them together. Then the two of us would try to pick apart their arguments as we moved on to another event. The weird thing about him was the Irish exits, though. Ten came along and the guy would just disappear like Houdini. This wasn't necessarily unusual back then, no one really used to text, and most of us weren't even expected to check work email after the close. Hell, I'm not even sure the cell phones had auto-dial. Anyway, let's make this slightly creepy story shorter here for expediency. In early 2007, I found myself at a Navy SEAL Foundation dinner, which is a great veterans charity focusing on head injuries and supporting families of our fallen elite. As usual, my mentors work in the room, but oddly, we have little contact there. To some extent, I'd found my own feet in social situations and no longer needed him as a crutch. When we leave the Midtown location, I have a large group of New York's finest around me, and my mentor has only one, his trading assistant. She was 4'10", 180 pounds, almost certainly a lesbian, and clinging to him like a limp at mine on a Navy frigate. To say he's underwhelmed at how his evening had gone would be an understatement. I welcome both of them into my group, but it's clear he can't crack it. His first joke falls flat and a senior trader soon turns his back on him. I notice this sadly as he trails along despondently behind us through the warm midtown streets. We pass some homeless people on our way over to 10th Avenue and I have to belatedly admit something here. I love crackheads. My girlfriend literally used to yell at me to stop staring at them, but their life choices have always seemed so fascinating. Most people are just not that far into their lives. I need to know. I try to drop them some spare change just so I can catch their eye as I send them on their way to an evening that is certain to spiral wildly out of control by my intervention. After all, cash remains one of the last great accelerants in our economy. As I left some bills with a homeless woman nearby, I notice my mentor stops to speak with her while she spits back her thanks to me. We breeze our way past the door at Marquis, and this place is incredible. I can't do it justice here, but let's just say our good friend Molly's been to Burning Man, and this place was better back then. An hour or so into this, I wander off to the bathroom, and it sounds like there's a couple of rhinos mating in that place. I decide to come back later with a drink, and when I do, I see my mentor, who excitedly waves me over to his stall as his assistant and the homeless woman dash out of there. As I survey the state of his toilet, I turn to him and ask, Okay, so I understand the vomit, but why are you naked? And he replies, Aye, laddie, I also shit my pants. Episode 89 of Occupy a Job on Wall Street will be out soon. Ah, uh, fuck. What happened to the card?